It's season three of Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? And it was fascinating that people who weren't in the church, when I asked them what you needed to do to become a Christian, they didn't say, oh, you need to acknowledge your sins, ask Jesus forgiveness. And what they said was, you need to, you know, stop drinking, you need to, you know, get get married if you're not, you know, if you're just living together. I mean, they said, and then you can go. And so, so I would say to a person that's comfortable in their bounded setting to not just think of themselves, but to think of what is their, their boundedness communicating to others outside the lines. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being people who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Ing Podcast. I'm really excited today to be joined by Dr. Mark D. Baker. Mark is a professor of mission and theology at Fresno Pacific Biblical Seminary in Fresno, California. Um, he has lived a, uh, a very full life and has authored a number of different books, including one that came out not too far ago called Centered Set Church, Discipleship and Community Without Judgmentalism. Mark, we're really excited to have you with us on Ing Podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. It's great to be with you. For those who don't know you, um, how do you describe yourself? How do you introduce yourself these days? I guess I introduced myself. I try to include the the fact that I was a I lived in Honduras for ten years, uh, a missionary there. I'm currently a professor. I also like to let people know that I lead a Bible study in the county jail uh, every week, mm. just to communicate that I'm not just in the ivory tower. Right. <laughs> for those you know in the Anabaptist Mennonite world, I I I just said to someone last week the. The first Mennonites I met were in Central America when I went mm. there after college. I didn't grow up Mennonite, so I, in some ways, consider myself a Latin American um, Mennonite, but uh, came into Anabaptism through meeting Mennonites in Honduras and and sensing the, yeah, I guess, the possibility, promise, and maybe the necessity of that stance in a context yeah. like that. Wow. Oh, I feel like we could uh, spend some time with just that as a starting point, but I really do want to get to your book. I think it's actually a pretty apt um, transition, though. Uh, it was not too long ago at our local Mennonite church here in central Pennsylvania. Um, during a Sunday school talkback time about the sermon, uh, a woman who had only recently been attending said, I almost didn't come today. I was feeling a lot of shame that I'm not living as good of life as you Mennonites. Um, she had this idea that to be a part of our church required something more of her. She really felt like we had displayed something, um, for better or worse, that was defining who is in and who is out. And your book is kind of a response to that kind of tradition that we have here, right? That uh, um, church is not necessarily about a, a, a boundary of who's in and who's out. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? I was the kind of person that would lead the, the woman you're talking about to feel that way. I, I, I start <laughs> the book by telling a story of, you know, I'm five or six years old, driving home from church on a Sunday, um, 
sitting in the back seat, looking out the window and I see someone mowing their grass and, and I think, Oh, they're clearly not a Christian because well, one, they hadn't been in church and they're working on, you know, the Sabbath on Sunday. Um, So what we see there is, yeah, I had, I had already at this very young age started this line drawing of drawing a line between good Christians, bad Christians or Christians, non-Christians. And that continued, you know, in high school, I was not a troublemaker. I didn't drink, smoke, um, you know, dance. Uh, yeah, didn't steal on the job, um, lie, cheat, steal, etc. And I was very conscious. I mean, other people around me were. And again, I, I did this line drawing sort of thing of thinking, yeah, yeah like they're clearly not Christians. Then what happened, there, there was this... Um, yeah, this moment of disruption happened when I went to a Christian college, but there were people that had different sets of rules. Their lines were different. The content of the lines were different. And so I encountered some Christians that that did some things that were, from my perspective, inappropriate behavior, but they were clearly more spiritual than I was. And so it hmm. sort of threw the whole thing up in the air. And I, yeah, reading my Bible and, you know, reading Paul talking about, you know, food offered to the idols and, you know, some drinking things and came home and pronounced to my parents that we were legalists. And, you know, this, mm. this, this attitude towards others that they weren't Christians because they drank, you know, just, um, but notice what I did in that moment. So I come home as if I'm, I'm free, I'm leaving this legalism right. behind, but I, yeah, I mean, I can remember standing in the kitchen and just that self-righteous attitude I had towards <laughs> my parents, you know, you're legalists. I went to Honduras and, and got brought in a whole new set of material for my line. So then it shifted, you know, from these don't dance, uh, you know, swear kind of things to, are you helping the poor? Are you, you know, yeah. in favor of human rights in the context of violence in Central America? Like a, a works righteousness kind of idea, works yeah. righteousness. That I mean, I I grown up, you know, evangelical, strong sense of the gospel. Salvation is not by works, and I think that's a key point too, because it's not that we say. You know, like you did not say the things that that woman felt. We. Right. Right. You know, we communicate these things in other ways. So, yeah, I, I I like to say I lived, I preached grace and lived works righteousness. Um, and it's and, and I think a key thing, too, which I bring out of the book is it's not just, quote, you know, all oh, those legalists it, mm-hmm. here. I was this, you know, progressive um justice-oriented, helping the poor. I was going to a church started by a Mennonite missionary that was more charismatic, open to the gifts of the Spirit. But then I was judgmental about others who weren't. Um, and so th- then there came this moment where, whereas I had thought I'd left my legalism, there was this moment of revelation through a, a Bible study I was in um, where someone made made an observation which led me to realize, oh, I am just as judgmental as I was at 16 or six, I'm, you know, as works oriented. Um, and so that was a moment of change for me. And then what the book is about, and this was some years later, was I encountered the work by uh, Paul Hebert, who was a um, Mennonite brother and missionary in India and was struggling with how do you, um, how do you discern when someone's a Christian part of your group in, in, you know, the context of, Hinduism, where people are quite willing to accept Jesus, 
put Jesus up on the shelf with their other gods. And so Paul Hebert came with this thing, uh, borrowing it from math, and he was an anthropologist, of bounded, fuzzy, and uh, centered set. Bounded church, fuzzy church, centered church. Mm. Um, and here I'd invite listeners to uh, go to my website, centeredset.church.com, and scroll down just a little bit, and you'll see there's a place that says uh, free diagrams or diagrams, free PDF, something like that. So I'd invite you hit pause, go get <laughs> that PDF, because this is a very visual thing. So I'll yes. describe it right now, but good to have the diagrams before you. Um, and so what, uh, yeah, so Hebert described this as, so a bounded church is one that has a clear boundary, Kurubana uh, and static, and it distinguishes who belongs and who doesn't. And if you mm. do whatever is in that line, and we could go back to the examples I could give, it could be different things. But if you measure up to those things, you're in. Yeah. And I felt that, you know, I was in with the people that were talking about social justice and helping the poor in Central America. Um, so, and then, yeah, if, if you don't, you're out, and you, and then you feel shame, as as you mentioned, and so. So what happens often then is uh, when people sense this, oh, you know, these lines, this is no good. This is judgmental. And then what can happen is, well, what's the solution? Well, get rid of the lines, right? And and Hebert calls that a fuzzy church. So, and if if you just imagine you have this circle, but then if you erase that line, then the judgmentalism's gone, you know? And that woman, she would have felt fine. Oh, no, you know, I can be here. But then what happens is, and and this is a really important point, that the fuzzy church and the bounded church are on the same continuum. They're, you know, they're Mm. on a line. It's the same paradigm. It's just that one has the line, the other has erased it. But a fuzzy church is left with no strong sense of identity. Yeah. And a significant thing for us is there's also no way to call someone to discipleship, to conversion, because it's, it's fuzzy. Um, so then we need an, yeah, a, a third way alternative, something, you know, totally different. And so Hebert, again, barring from math, goes for a centered set or a centered mm-hmm. church. And so it's uh, it asks the question of who belongs in a very different way, whereas the other one is related to a line that's drawn. A centered is relational and it looks at orientation. So you define a center. And then the people who are in the group are ones that are heading towards that center, that are in relationship with the center. And so what a centered church does is it um, it solves the problems of a bounded church without falling into the problems or weaknesses of a fuzzy church, because there still is a sense of of a center, of, of identity and of calling. Yeah. You know, if Jesus is our center, that has implications for our life. Um, And there is room for, you know, loving exhortation for saying to someone else, you know, I I think you're off track. But the judgmentalism, um, it can be done without judgmentalism because Mm -hmm. my identity isn't dependent on this definition of we're all the same, we're all inside this line. My identity is in the center. And so I can be more gracious and accepting of people um, who might not, yeah, be measuring up in the same way. We're on a journey together. 
Um, hmm. Well, it seems so timely and relevant given the polarization that we're currently living through in American society right now. I think about our politics, even the way that we are siloed in our social media spaces, we are automatically sort of grouped and clumped with the people with the same interests and we define ourselves by us versus them, right? It's yes. always about, right. I am myself because the I am not that other over there. Um, is there, like, how do we, how do we break away from that deep societal impulse, I guess, to categorize ourselves in that way, to find our value in what we're not? These are tools. Like, this is a very helpful um, conceptual thing that Hebert has given to us. Um, but the tool itself is not enough to make us centered. You know, we just can't mm. draw this diagram on a whiteboard and say, okay, let's be centered church. And yeah. so a, a point I make in the middle part of the book is it really matters who the God of the center is. So for mm. instance, if, if my view of God is that God is, um, you know, a demanding, angry, judgmental figure, um, then if that's the God in the center, we're, we're going to have a bounded group, even if we're using centered set terminology and everything, because uh, yeah, the, yeah. the character of the community will be um, influenced by that God of the center. Mm, fueled by what they're aiming for, I guess. Yeah. How is it that we can move away from the us, them? And I, I think um, when our identity is rooted in Jesus, there's the possibility that my security is in that relationship and it opens up space for me to not have the necessity of the us, them. And, and this is where I think um, you have to be compassionate and understanding. I mean, the us, them thing is, is a very common thing. And people are you know, mm -hmm. grasping for security, want to be in, they feel threatened, yeah. etc. But we have something radically different to offer of saying, you know, we can follow both the model of Jesus, but also the experience of having God's loving embrace through Jesus, that we do not need to, you know, other someone else to put down someone else for me to feel secure because my security is in Jesus. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that the center, the God of the center, the God revealed by Jesus Christ is of yeah, utmost importance of this for the reason you mentioned, as well as to avoid it just sliding into boundedness again. The 500th anniversary of Anabaptism in 2025 gives the church a unique opportunity to celebrate and dream. Menno Media invites you to celebrate and dream with us as we embrace the hope and possibility created by this momentous anniversary. As our world continues to evolve and change, the church needs to increase our capacity to offer creative, imaginative resources that inspire people to commit to grow in Christian faith. Menno Media's vision is to lead the way in helping North American Anabaptist Christians experience spiritual renewal by creating fresh, forward-looking resources for Anabaptism's quincentenary celebration. 
Each resource will offer spiritual inspiration, connection, education, and invitation to the Anabaptist community and to the broader Christian church. To learn more about Anabaptism at 500 or how to add your voice to the first ever Anabaptist community Bible, visit anabaptismat500.com. I don't know if there's a way for you to answer this question without giving away the end to your book, but one of the things I most appreciated was the practical examples you gave at the end of some churches who are really trying to be centered set churches. Um, can you give us some examples, maybe without <laughs> getting too specific, I guess, about you know what what is really hopeful to you that you see in these churches that are really shifting to a more centered set model? If you Google bounded church uh, or centered set church, like there are many people talking about this, writing articles about it, there, you know, chapters and books about it. So it's, it's not like Mark Baker came up with this thing. Or I'm <laughs> right. about it. But what was not, what was not out there was um, a, a resource, a publication that talked about how do you put it into practice? Mm, um, yeah. And so what I did was I went out and interviewed pastors, church leaders, did focus groups in churches and places with people who with churches who are trying to put this into practice. And so the, the mm. book is, yeah, the, the latter part of the book is filled with examples of things I learned. Um, yeah. When I started doing the interviews, like I imagined I would go out and find, okay, so what do you do when, um, you know, there's a couple, they're living together. They're not married. Uh, they're going to your church what do you do? And I would go out and ask <laughs> someone, what do you do in this situation? And then I've had the case study in the book and say, this is a centered way. And, and I, I particularly, I mentioned that example because it came up repeatedly when I talked to churches, but the fascinating thing was, um, it, there wasn't like, there wasn't, this is the way to do it. I, I encountered numerous yeah. responses to that example and so what it led me to realize is, oh, there's not, it's not that I'm going to write a book with this list of, you know, here are these 12 things and uh, 12 situations, and this is a centered response. And so it's it much more, I found the book, I'm telling examples to help feed people's imagination of how they can respond and it'll be different in different situations. Mm. One that impressed me a lot was from... Um, a man, a pastor from Washington State named Dan Serdahl. And when we were we were talking, we were in a coffee shop in Seattle, and I was he was and very passionate about Jesus-centered approach. And so I said, okay, okay, but what do you do when you know someone is off track? They're not oriented. I wanted <laughs> to get a feel for, you know, how what's your loving confrontation look like? Yeah. And and so, and this is a this is a very large church. And so he he said to me, you know, when someone comes to me and says, I'm very concerned about my friend, they are blank, you know, or someone in the church. Dan said, what I tell that person is invite your friend to read one of the gospels with you. Um, and I was sitting there, you know, with my pen, my my legal pad, like ready to take notes on his answer. And that was it. Just, you know, he's done. And, I, and I'm like, well, OK, tell me. And I mean, we did talk a bit more about like how he helps the person stuff to do that. But it, it was um, it was a beautiful example in that 
the more I thought about it, though, this is this is wonderful. It is so centered. One, and because you're reading the gospel, it's about Jesus. But what Dan said was, if you read the gospel with the person, whatever it is they're struggling is, it's going to come up. Yeah. But also what's going to come up is, you know, the beautiful Jesus um, actions in words and deeds that are shame dissipating, that are forgiving. And so it, it's going to go deeper root. Um, mm -hmm. So that's one example. Yeah, let me share one other. So this is from um, yeah, a former student who's a pastor. And um, and it was this situation where there was a person, a person had been going to their church for a long time and was now living together with someone else. They weren't married. And my my former student said, you know, he felt in him the the bounded pressure, like you've got to call out this sin, you mm. need to do something. What do you do? Um, but he he sought to resist that, and so he said he they they got together a, a group of leaders and they they talked, they prayed about what, how do we respond to this situation, and um, and one of them said, you know, I think we're wrong to be focusing in on this particular issue of married or not married. He said, why don't, you know, why don't we offer to walk with them to, you know, to visit them, to give them pastoral care. And so what they, the group decided was that they would, you know, assign one couple. And if the, this other couple was willing to yeah, to meet with them, walk with them. And you can guess what happened, you know, that all sorts of other things came up that led to transformation in these people's lives. And they did eventually, you know, end up getting married. But it, but because they took this centered approach, it just went deeper and more profound, mm. and and less shaming than that. A bounded approach would have been: here's the line, you fall short, you need to do this or else. For for those who are saying, well, this all sounds like something to aim for, Mark, but I really kind of enjoy my bounded set church. And I'm, I'm settled in my ways. Like, what is the, what is the beauty of really trying to posture ourselves in a different way? Uh, if we're content in a bounded set church, <laughs> um, why strive for something different? Yeah, I have a whole list of things there. So I, I think <laughs> we could start with, well, let's go back to where we began, Ben, of, you know, the example of the woman you shared. And when you share that, I mean, I, I'm almost exactly the same experience. When I was doing field research for my uh, doctoral dissertation in in Honduras, I was interviewing um, people on the streets who weren't in churches, but trying. So I, I was doing, you know, I was visiting different churches to explore their boundedness, legalism, something, but also, you know, outsiders. And and it was fascinating that people who weren't in the church when I asked them what you needed to do to become a Christian, they didn't say, oh, you need to acknowledge your sins, ask Jesus forgiveness. And what they said was, you need to, you know, stop drinking. You need to, you know, get, yeah. get married if you're not, you know, if you're just living together. I mean, they said, and then you can go. And so, mm -hmm. um, so I would say to a person that's comfortable in their bounded setting to not just think of themselves, but to mm -hmm. think of what is their their boundedness communicating to others outside the lines? Um, mm, yeah, that's helpful. And then, secondly, is 
and and I say this in the book, you know, bounded, and it, you use the word. I mean, it's comfortable, and there's security in it when things are going well. Um, yeah. But you know, I give an example in the book of a woman who um, her husband was unfaithful. She got divorced, and she was. I mean, she grown up bounded. She was bounded. And she was now on the wrong side of the line. You know, she was on the wrong side of her own line. And she would do all these verbal gymnastics to not use the word divorced because it was such a shaming thing for her. And so I would say to the person that's comfortably bounded, yeah, it's comfortable, but but there's that threat. You know, if, if you slip up, um, you're going to be the one that's shamed. Yeah. Many people would hang on to bounded because they feel the necessity in this age of such, you know, relativism or, you know, anything goes, whateverism, they feel the need. No, we, this is important. What we believe is important. And our, you know, our peace position is important. Um, you know, whatever it is that these are things that are important. And, and I would say, yeah, a bounded church has the appearance of taking, ethics and belief seriously. Mm. But in reality, it tends to be superficial because it tends to focus on things that you can comply with. And it's, it's love is limited because yeah, the the transparency is not welcomed in a bounded church. So I would Mm. say to them, you could have so much more in a centered church, Mm. deeper transformation, deeper connection, um, and less shaming of others. I think that's a really helpful word of hope um, to imagine all of those things suddenly um, showing up in more of our churches. The other thing that I can hear people saying as they're listening to our conversation is, but but the boundaries are sometimes important. Don't we need boundaries? And I'm guessing you have an answer for that as well. Yes. So so one thing is to, to communicate, yeah, the, Boundaries are valuable things. And and even if we think of the Bible distinguishes between appropriate and inappropriate. So when I use bounded in the book, I'm talking about a line that has the sense of uh, us, them, superior, inferior judgmentalism in it. So I distinguish between a bounded line, a bounded boundary and boundaries that you might say, you know, as a, in a relationship, we need to have healthy boundaries. So bounded, it does not refer to all things we might call boundaries. There are things that can be deemed appropriate and inappropriate. In the book, I don't use the word boundaries in a positive way, just for ease of communication, but I, <laughs> but it's, it, it is not it is not a critique of any and all use of lines to distinguish between appropriate or inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's a boundary that comes from being a centered set church too, right? If someone is against your center, that is kind of a boundary. Um, Yes. Right. (laughs) And And, and like I said, I wouldn't use the word boundary with that because I think it gets confusing, but that's how a centered set is significantly different than a fuzzy. I yeah. mean, there are times yeah. when you'd say, and there's, a, you know, a, I think a great example um, that yeah, many Anabaptists would would resonate with or, or yeah, be interested in from Weldon Nisley, who was a, 
he's a retired pastor of Seattle Mennonite Church. When I asked him, I because he's a strong advocate of center, to say, okay, well, has there been a time when you know you've said to someone, hey, that's not who we are? And and he used the example of the peace position, and he said, you know, someone comes to us and they are not in align with that. He said, we're not bounded. So we wouldn't say, sorry, you can't be here. He'd say, walk with us. Hmm. Um, and then he said, you walk with us. And I think over time you will come, if, you know, if you're centered walking with us, I think you will come to embrace our position. But then he said, if you don't, he said, I will help you find a church more in line with your hmm. position. Hmm. And I said, have you done that? And he said, yes. Wow. All right. Good job. Kudos, Seattle Mennonite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, something else, and I, I admit that this is, um, I, I think back to the places where I have belonged, they've almost always been bounded set spaces. Um, and so my default is coming from that. What What about this fuzzy set um, boundary? Uh, I haven't experienced that much, but but I am, I'm assuming we need to also talk about that for just a minute too. <laughs> yes. So, and okay, let me say that I only ever for years when I taught about this, I only talked about bounded and centered. Centered. Um, hmm. And there's, there's, yeah. And I just say this quickly. There's two reasons uh, that I included in the book that I would advocate. We must talk about fuzzy today. One is society is increasingly fuzzy. And so what I started bumping into was, although my experience was like yours, I started having students, um, like yeah, my own daughters that were growing up in a very fuzzy environment. And so mm. they were bringing a societal sense of whateverism, you know, like mm. you do yeah. your thing, I'll do my thing, just, you know, and a, a very strong sense of, the most important thing is to be nice and to not make someone feel bad and therefore fuzzy. So, so one reason was that this is an increasing reality that people in their absorbing tolerance of supreme virtue in society, it's coming into church mm -hmm. or churches. And this I increasingly encounter is churches know they don't want to be bounded Hmm. But they they go fuzzy because they they don't have a conception of an alternative. Yeah. So yeah. I have um, increasingly the, uh, encountered that. The other thing, and this is a, a strategic reason, it gets back to you, you know the person you said that's comfortable. Um, whenever I taught about this in the past, I always had students that would argue against me. And they would always say, well, you know, we have something in between bounded and centered. And they just, they wanted to hang on to their boundedness. Mm -hmm. And about five years ago, when I started in class, including fuzzy, since that time, I have not had, I've had one student, only one student that has argued for bounded. Because what happens is when, when I present bounded and then fuzzy and then go to centered, what people don't, the people that are trying to hang on to the, the, the seriousness of bounded, they know they don't want fuzzy. And so yeah. when they when they sense, oh, Mark doesn't like fuzzy either, they're more open 
to see centered as a non-fuzzy alternative. Whereas before, <laughs> I think, even though I, I try as hard as I can to say, no, it's not, anything goes, they just felt like, oh, you know, you're making things loose and relative and they wouldn't go with center. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I like that. I, I'm guessing there's some people who are listening to this who are hungry to learn more. Um, in addition to um, getting a copy of this book, uh, where would you direct them to learn more about this? I recommend my website, centeredsetchurch.com. And there's two things in particular I'd like to highlight on that website. So you cannot do Centered Set Church alone. You, know, you, mm. or you can't lead mm. a small group, a Bible study, and make it Centered Set Church just because you've read the book. The yeah. reality is not everyone in your church or your small group is going to read the book. Um, so I, um, in cooperation with Jesus Collective, made a series of five 15-minute videos that go over the, um, yeah, the basics of this from the first part of the book with the idea that's something you could use in a small group or with the church to bring other people on board with the language, the concept, so you can work mm. on it together. So on centeredsetchurch.com, the website, um, there's information about the book, but then below that, there's information about these videos that you could get to use. And then I have written a um, just newly released a commentary on Galatians that is also it's done through the lens of a centered set church. So what can we see mm. in Galatians through looking at it through that lens? And what can we learn about centered set from looking at Paul's approach in Galatians? And it is a, um, yeah, it's an accessible lay level commentary designed for use with small groups. So that's another resource mm. I would uh, point you to. And they're, they're all on centeredsetchurch.com. Mark, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here on Ing Podcast. Uh, it really has been uplifting for me, and I'm guessing our audience will also find this really valuable to even reflect, take a little bit of time to think about the churches you belong to. Um, what are they demonstrating and, and how might they be uh, filled with a little bit more hope for the future um, if they reevaluate who they are and, and which direction they're heading? So thank you. Thank you, Ben. Next week on Ing Podcast, we're sitting down with a few of the people involved with the upcoming Young Adult Climate Summit. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.